Mark chapter 10, as I mentioned in the prayer just a moment ago. And, you know, as I started writing this sermon this week, I've been preaching some heavy sermons lately. It seems like the last two sermons I've had to preach have been especially heavy, a uh, lot to think about, super heavy, but it's, it's not that I just felt like preaching super heavy sermons. We work through books of the Bible, and we've been working through the Gospel of Mark, and we've had some pretty heavy subjects. And so, you know, when Jesus is talking about sin and hell, that's pretty heavy. And so when you preach about sin and hell, it's going to feel like preaching about sin and hell, a heavy, a heavy subject. And then uh, last time we got together, we're, we're talking about divorce because that's the topic that was brought up in the passage of Scripture. And so preaching about divorce isn't, isn't ever something you're like, oh, right, I get to talk about divorce today. This will be great. So as I'm writing, I'm thinking, I'm like, Lord, uh, what's next here in the text? And, and I feel like it's not that it's, uh, an unimportant, it's actually a critically important passage of scripture, but it's not going to feel as heavy today. And we're gonna, we should find so much relief. Though we are studying a moment in which Jesus gets angry, it's actually radically encouraging. The, the message, the lesson that we are to obtain in this passage of scripture is so encouraging, it should make you feel so good. So in that sense, this is a feel-good sermon. <laughs> it should feel that way because the message Jesus is preaching right here and the object lesson he's using, it should make you feel incredibly good. It should be a huge relief. It's the essence of the gospel message that we're studying today. You're going to get a big helping of assurance in how we are to approach God. So Jesus is doing in this moment something that he's already done. He's using an object lesson to teach his disciples about the kingdom of God. And the object in his lesson are children. It's children already. So even, even, the, even the setting is lighter. He's around a bunch of kids, and he's going to use these kids to teach about the kingdom of God. And so we, oftentimes, pastors, when they get to this passage, we get really excited, and we make it about all sorts of other things. You know, so I promise not to get carried away a lot of preachers will want to make this about children because there's children in the passage and, you know, don't, we don't want to hinder kids. We need to be nice to kids, do more for kids. But that's the great thing about this passage. Even, if, even, if, even though it's not, it's not about kids, but even if you misapply this text and make it about kids and that makes you nicer to kids, I think that's still a win. That's still a win. So even if you misapply this text, if it's in that way, you're nicer to kids. Hey, all right, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, but there's a whole lot more here. There's a whole lot more, and it is so encouraging. I'm excited to preach this passage of Scripture uh, to you because this passage of Scripture, what it's actually about, spoiler alert, this is about the credentials that we need to have in order to enter the kingdom of God. Aren't those stakes high? Don't you want to be a part of the kingdom of God? Well, how are we to approach God? How are we to enter the kingdom of God? What credentials do we need? Let's just read the passage that I'm going to preach today in its entirety. I'm going to start at verse 13 and read through 16. So I'll just read the whole thing and then we'll go back through it line by line. Let the children come to me. That's the title of my paragraph. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant 
and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. So they were bringing children to him. Let's make one observation about this text. Why do we think they're bringing their children to Jesus? Normally when people are bringing other people to Jesus, whenever he's traveling and preaching, it's to get to, so that they would get healed. He's known as this healer who preaches a gospel. And so they, were, they weren't bringing their children, though, to him to be healed. That's, that's what we would think would typically be happening, but it doesn't say that in this passage. passage. What we're told in this passage, rather, is that they're bringing their children to Jesus in order that he would bless them. And so this is a common practice at this, part in, at this time in history amongst Jews. If there was a famous rabbi in town, you would want to bring your child to that rabbi to be blessed by them. And, and so Jesus, again, his popularity has gone wild. It's, everyone in Israel knows who Jesus is. He's been doing all this ministry in Galilee, the northern part of Israel. But now, at this point, Mark, he's traveled down to Judea, but everybody already knows who he is. He's been the talk of the entire nation of Israel and so they know exactly who Jesus is and this famous rabbi has come to town and so they're bringing their children to this rabbi especially because the more notoriety that rabbi had the more likely you would want to get your kid to go let's hey let's go meet Jesus be blessed by Jesus you know let's see if we can line you up and get a picture with them or something you know that's the mentality that they would have brought into that and then for the rest of their lives they're going to be able to say they were blessed by Jesus, because his, again, he's so well known. And so that's, that's what's happening at this point in time. These children aren't sick or, or injured or anything like that. They're being brought to be blessed. And so children, what are the ages of the kids? Well, this, this Greek word for children, it can describe a, a, a big range. And so um, a baby could be de- described at, with this same Greek word. Or Jairus' daughter, who was just raised from the dead earlier in Mark she was 12, right? This word is used to describe her too. So it could be uh, they were bringing their babies, their toddlers, and everything up to a 12-year-old to, to Jesus to get blessed. And so again, I just appreciate the lightness of the text. After being in some heavy sermons today, I just want to bask in it a little bit. Isn't it nice to have this image, this picture painted in our minds of Jesus traveling into this community and families are swarming around him and the kids especially are, are racing to get to him and he's interacting with children. He's taking them in his arms. He's kissing the babies. He's, he's having a word of prayer over them and blessing their families. It's like, it's, it's, it's just such a, a great image to get in your head. And, and it's a fun uh, image to get in your mind as you think about what's playing out here. And then come the disciples. Then come the disciples to wreck that great picture that we have started in our brains. The disciples rebuked them. Why in the world are the disciples rebuking these kids? I mean, the kids are trying to meet Jesus. The families are there. The disciples are like, scram, get out of here, kid. You know, they're they're shooing them away. Quit bothering Jesus. And here we get into the lesson. Here we get into what we are supposed to take away from this text. Let's, Let's get into the heads of the disciples. 
They're showing their true colors again. Now, we're always hard on the disciples, and I would always encourage you, when you're, when you're tempted to be really hard on the disciples, make sure you're reflecting on your life in the same way. Make sure you're hard on yourself in the same way. But these disciples, they're showing their lack of understanding again. They're showing their pride, you know, their, their, their slowness to learn. They're starting to think they're somebodies. Oh, man, we really struggle with that. We really struggle with that. When somebody starts to think that they're a somebody, when somebody starts to view themselves as the big dog on the porch, look out, because if someone starts thinking of themselves as the big dog on the porch, they won't rest until everyone sees them as the big dog on the porch. And so the disciples have started to develop some of this mentality, right? I mean, when they were arguing, traveling down the road, they were arguing over who is the greatest disciple. Do you remember that just happened in the text back in chapter 9? They were arguing about who is the greatest player on the team. Are we seeing the irony here? They're shooing away kids as they are acting like children, right? They've been a, they're in a season of time in which they are the ones acting like children, right? I'm the best player on the team. No, I'm the best player. No, here's why I'm better than you. And they're arguing over who is the greatest disciple. And didn't you remember when they rebuked the guy who wasn't a disciple of Jesus, but he was trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus, or he was casting out demons uh, in the name of Jesus. And what did they do? They stopped that guy, and they told Jesus, hey, we saw a guy casting out demons in your name, and we, we stopped him. And Jesus was like, why are you stopping him? Why, why are you doing that? Don't do that. But they felt like they were entitled to be the only ones with the right credentials to be able to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. They were the cool kids. No one else got to be... Uh, in their group but them and they they were starting to lord that over other people and make sure other people knew hey you're not you're not in the inner circle you don't get to do this you're, you don't you don't get to sit at our lunch table there's only six seats here and, and you're not one of them you know that, that's that's the mentality they're acting like kids they're acting like kids and so the, the irony, I think, that we're supposed to see is, is just that. Uh, they, they are who they think Jesus shouldn't even make time for. They, they, they are the ones behaving like those that they deem to be not worthy of the presence of Jesus. And here they are, shooing away children, because they think those kids don't deserve Jesus' time. Again, I think, I think we shouldn't glaze over that very quickly. I think we should reflect on that because I think there's a degree into which each and every one of us in here struggle with that we're so prone to see the faults in everybody else before we see our own we're so prone to make much of the sins and the faults of those around us and then ignore the log in our own eye this is common of all of us we start to think well you know why is that person coming to church what are they doing here you know how, how did they get through the door what are they doing in that seat and so when we read the gospel especially when we study these moments with the disciples it has a way of reframing those questions what are you doing here why do you think you deserve to sit amongst a group of pro professing believers and, and worship God who do you think you are what is it about you that you think you deserve the presence of Jesus in your life we're so prone to forget about those faults in our, in our own lives. The disciples are prone to forget too. We remember, remember when Jesus in the previous chapter was, was teaching, if anyone would be first, he must be last 
of all and servant of all, he was teaching an object lesson with children in that moment also. They were at Capernaum. They were at Peter's house. Could have been Peter's kid. He took a child in the midst of them, and he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. That just happened days ago. It just happened the, the previous page in our Bibles. And now they're so prone to forget, just like we are, they're so prone to forget, just the very next page, they're actually shooing away children. <laughs> Don't receive those kids. Get out of here. You're bothering Jesus. We have important stuff to do. Jesus has places to go. Get out of here. No wonder Jesus was mad, right? I mean, you ever just like, you teach something to your kids, or maybe you are, there are several teachers here, you teach something, and you teach something, and you teach something, you think, maybe I'm making some progress, and then the person you're trying to teach reveals that they don't even know or haven't grasped the most fundamental thing you're trying to teach them, you start banging your head against the wall, right? You get so frustrated that, man, you just don't, we got to go back to the basics. You don't even get that yet. Jesus is just, he's, he's mad. The word is indignant. He is upset. He's mad. Have you listened to a thing that I have taught you? Jesus said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. That is a popular verse. Let me read it to you again. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. That is such a popular verse that we are especially prone to apply it incorrectly. That's usually what happens. When we make much of a verse and, and we pluck it out of context and we, and we start to put it out there and, and quote that one verse by itself over and over and over, I like doing that as well, but we have to be careful when we do that because we don't want to understand that verse, any verse in the Bible, apart from its context because the context is what helps give that verse the meaning it was intended to have. And so I think there are several ways this particular verse is, is misapplied to life, not necessarily in a harmful way, but it just misses the essence of what it's to be about. It's, it's about the gospel, but one of my favorite authors does this. One of my all-time favorite authors is J.C. Ryle. You, over, over, if you've been coming all 10 years to the journey, you know that I read J.C. Ryle commentaries and books like snorting crack cocaine to me. I just, I love what that guy has to say. He lived back in the day in England, the Church of England. He's an old school Anglican. He writes commentaries. I, I have chewed up everything that guy has written. I'm still reading him right now as he, in his commentary over Mark. And it, you know, it's, it's okay if you disagree with someone that you, can, that you love to learn from. You don't have to agree with every last thing. You know what? You and I are going to disagree on some stuff every once in a while. I don't have everything figured out. I, I don't have perfect, perfectly solid doctrine and theology. Neither do you. I don't expect J.C. Ryle to either. But, uh, man, I love reading his books. He died in like 1900. He's super dead. But he, he, he spent page after page after page in his sermon over this passage talking about infant baptism. To him, that was the main purpose, that was the, the, the primary way to use this text was about infant baptism. And I'm reading page after page, and I find everything that he has to say fascinating. He's, he's, he's got an IQ that I'll never attain. I mean, he's very, very smart. But 
I, I, I just think, though, if we look at this text honestly, and we just ask this question, is infant baptism really what Mark had in mind for us to truly think about in this moment in Scripture? I just can't see it. Personally, I just can't see it. I don't have any, I don't see any baptisms taking place in this moment. I don't, I don't see Jesus baptizing the babies or, or the 12-year-olds. I, I don't see it in the text. I don't think this text is about baptism in any way, shape, or form, certainly not infant baptism. So, uh, but that, it, when, you, when you talk to a Presbyterian or a Catholic or, or an Anglican like J.C. Ryle, they will use this text as a proof text to support infant baptism, but I, personally, I just can't see it, but you'll see that commonly. Another way that it's misapplied, let me pick on us Baptists as well. I, I, would, I would place myself in the Baptist category, but uh, I, I carefully do that because I don't know what your understanding of a Baptist is and everyone else's understanding of a Baptist, but my understanding of a Baptist, I think I fall into that, but a lot of the, the Baptists will take this text and they'll use it to support baby dedications because in the Baptist world, right, you, you, you don't baptize infants because we don't see infants being baptized in scripture we only do a believer's baptism and so uh we, the, the a lot of baptists will use this as a proof text to support baby dedications and so when you read commentaries and study this passage oh this is why we should dedicate our children to the lord so on and so forth but i want to be fair it, there's a more logical connection there i mean when we dedicate a baby to the lord we're, we're bringing the child before the church and we're we're having a prayer of blessing collectively over this child and this family and it's a charge to to live for the kingdom of god well that's certainly what jesus is doing in this moment as he's blessing these children but is this about baby dedications is that really what mark had in mind when he's writing this down i love baby dedications love cuddling with babies but i just don't think that's the focus here and then the other way i think it's misapplied is many Christians will take this as a proof text just to do more children's ministry. Don't hinder them. Journey kids. <laughs> right? like don't, don't hinder the kids. Or they'll just use this passage as a way of saying, we especially should be nice to children. Don't hinder the little ones. Don't hinder the children. Well, I don't, I'm not for hindering children. Okay? Like, <laughs> you know, like I mentioned in my introduction, if if you read this passage and you merely walk away with an inclination to be less hindering of children or to, or to hinder kids less than what you normally would, I guess that's a win, right? <laughs> Even if you misapply that text to just mean that, if you walk out of here just, I'm going to be nicer to kids, I'll take it. I'll take it. That's a win, right? I went to the journey this weekend and, man, I don't hate kids anymore. I want to be nice to them now. Man, we got a long way to go with you, but I'm glad you've come to that conclusion. I don't, I don't think that's, that's what, like, like if, you, if you like kids, right, you've met the bare minimum requirement to be a good person if you're nice to kids, but keep going. I don't think that's what the text is about. I don't think those three applications of the text, I don't, I don't think they're harmful necessarily, but I, this passage isn't about children. What's the passage about? Well, the passage tells us if we keep that verse in its context, this object lesson by Jesus is to teach us who belongs to the kingdom of God and who doesn't belong to the kingdom of God. Ooh, I want to know. There's something we need to understand about these kids. They're the object of this lesson. 
There's something we need to understand about children. There's something I, wanna I want to understand about these kids because I want to know if I belong to the kingdom of God or if I don't belong to the kingdom of God. What is it about these kids that I need to know, that I need to be like in order to be a part of that kingdom of God? Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, these children here. So what is it about the kids? Well, be careful here too. What do we know about kids? Oh, well, they're, they're innocent and they're, they're pure, all right? They're gentle creatures. No, that's not what we're going for here. I mean, we can, we can get carried away there. That's not what kids are like. Like when I, I'm raising three boys of my own and I've, I've, I've learned a lot in parenthood. I'm not out of the woods yet. But I, I remember holding my children when they were little babies and they're screaming at 2.30 in the morning and I got to be at work in a few hours or I got to preach and I'm holding the baby at 2.30 a.m. At that moment, I'm not thinking, this is the, the cutest thing in the whole world. Right? <laughs> right? That's not what's going through my mind. When I'm, when I'm up in the middle of the night changing a dirty diaper and I get them all settled in and then he just fills up the diaper immediately like we've all been there as parents, I'm not thinking, wow, that is so pure. That is just, I mean, that's pure crap, but, <laughs> right? right? And my kid's now, like, gentle, right? Yesterday when I go downstairs, I hear screaming like my kids are trying to survive, like they're being killed or something. I go down, and Nolan's got a blanket over his two brothers, suffocating them and holding them down, and they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to live. They have no oxygen, and they're at the brink of death. I don't look at that moment and think, those are so gentle and majestic. That's just not what's supposed to come to mind, right? And, and when you think about kids, like, I, I have saved, you're speaking of saving their lives. As a parent, how many times have you literally saved the life of your child? It's a daily occurrence at times, right? I mean, my kids wouldn't have even survived the Marietta Walking Trail. They'd have just waltzed right into the Ohio River. I've saved their lives so many times. I, I've just lost count because they're helpless. They're helpless, right? Never once have they contributed to my bank account balance. Not a single time. They've never put food on the table. They've never paid a utility bill. They've never even offered. <laughs> Think about that, boys. They have no social status whatsoever. They bring nothing to the table, literally and metaphorically. And that's the point. That's the point. They are 100% dependent upon me to get this far in life. That's the point. That's the point Jesus is making when he uses this object lesson in ancient times. He's not teaching them to be more cute, cuddly, and innocent to get into the kingdom of God. He's teaching them to be totally dependent like a child. Those are the individuals who belong to the kingdom of God. So how are we to be dependent Upon God, well, you know, like children, they're not dependent upon themselves. They get nowhere. They need to be dependent upon God. Let's listen to Jesus again in verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Here's how he says it in the parallel in Matthew. In the same moment, here's how Jesus says it and how Matthew records it. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you turn, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So the question you and I should be asking ourselves right now, does it have anything to do with infant baptism? Does it have anything to do with baby dedications? 
doesn't have anything to do with children's ministry. The question we are meant to ask ourselves is, do you come to, to God like a child? Are you approaching worship before God like a child? Are you approaching his kingdom like a child? This is, this is us being instructed to be completely helplessly dependent upon God because people like that, those are who inherit the kingdom of God. The gospel, again, it's just so humbling. It's so countercultural. It turns everything upside down. Everything we aspire to be sometimes in our culture is just completely opposite of the gospel, the gospel message and our approach to eternity, right? In, in, our, in our society and probably in every society, right? We emphasize pride and self-respect. I want to be a self-made man. All those are virtuous things. I'm completely independent. I need help from no one. If you reach that way of life, then you are doing it the best. And Jesus says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So again, have we, have we come to God like this today? Is this how you wake up and approach your relationship with God, when, when, you, when you come before God and you consider your relationship with him, this teaching humbles us in a way that we leave our resume at the door. We don't take our resume before God of all of our accomplishments and how we live our life and convince him or sway him to pour out his love and affection on us. We don't take our pedigree, where we came from, who raised us, the family we're a part of, we don't take that before God and say, I am owed this. That's not, none of that stuff matters. It's just like the song that we sang earlier, right? That hymn, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling, naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. And so you leave your resume at the door when you're coming to the kingdom of God. But you can bring your failures to God. That's what you take with you. And Jesus pays for that failure on the cross. We leave our sins on that cross. Jesus died on that cross to pay our penalty for our sins, to satisfy the wrath of God. That's why we want to take our resume with us. We want to take our res resume with us so that, again, we can convince God, so we can emphasize the highlights of our life, you know, to, to get God to overlook the blunders in our life. You don't want to be in that situation. Your highlight reel doesn't fool God. It can fool people on social media. All the highlight reels we have on, on there can fool a lot of people. You're never going to fool God. Your highlight reel is pathetic compared to your failures. We just, you know that deep down. Every single one of us knows that deep down. That's why we feel like we got to have that in society. We want to make much of our highlights so that we can convince others to overlook our blunders. We never, we never promote the blunders on there, right? Jesus is like, you gotta, you gotta stop thinking that way. You gotta become like children who are completely, helplessly dependent upon their, their parents for survival. Be like those children as you approach me. Be 100% dependent, helplessly dependent upon me. That's what God says to us. I am providing your resume. It's Jesus. That's your resume. You come to me, I am providing the resume of your accomplishments. It's Christ alone. It's faith alone and Christ alone. Here is your resume. Wouldn't you rather have that resume before God than your own? 
Like if you get the option of turning in your own resume of accomplishments to count for you or Jesus' resume of accomplishments to count for you, isn't it a relief to know that we get to use his resume before God? That's a huge relief. What a a shot of assurance. What an incredible amount of assurance that we get. We helplessly come to him. I can bring nothing. Well, I've provided your resume. Here it is. It's Jesus and his sinless life. That counts for you. But I have all these failures. Well, I've atoned for every single one of your failures through Christ on the cross. I've provided all of the atonement. No convincing needed. You don't need to point to any highlight. I've atoned for all of it. I overlook and I I pay for your sins. I atone for all of it because of Jesus. And so that's how we are meant to approach God, especially in a time of communion. We're brought back to the same truth over and over and over again. We're so prone Again, to forget all those things and start to depend on ourselves, start to depend on what we can do, start to depend on our highlights to overlook our mistakes. And unless we come back to this message each and every week, we're going to just forget it. We're going we're to relapse. And so we literally need this time of communion as spiritual nourishment or else we will forget it. And so it's the gospel of Jesus that enables us to become like children. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that allows us to be obedient to this command of Jesus. Approach me as children. We can't do that apart from the gospel. And so we come to a time of communion right now to remember God's unconditional love for us just like you unconditionally love your children. I provide everything for my kids They don't need to provide a highlight reel to me for me to love them. They're my kids. God's love for me is even superior to that. I am forgiven because he has provided everything. Let's helplessly depend upon that truth today in communion. Let's pray. Lord, again, we are so grateful for the gospel to change the way that we think. If you wouldn't instruct us to think this way, if you wouldn't, by your grace, give us this correction and equip us with these teachings, Lord, through object lessons with children, Lord, we would depend on ourselves for our salvation. We would be a mess. Lord, you are so gracious to instruct us in this way. You have every right to tell us to be better and be good enough to be loved, but you don't take that approach to us, Lord. You tell us, you instruct us instead just the opposite. Be like children. Be dependent upon me. It's pure grace. Lord, help us to remember that as we worship together in communion today.